I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Healy's away. Australia are away. Sit back and enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanning. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Donaldson strikes again. She's on a hat-trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Hello and welcome back to The Scoop. We are the cricket podcast dedicated to the women's game. As always, you are joined by Emily Collin. And Laura Jolly. And LJ, it's game day eve. We can finally say that. We're finally coming to you saying that we've got cricket on tomorrow. How exciting is that? Oh, finally. It feels like we've been waiting forever. <laughs> it's the one thing giving us life right now in lockdown. Correct, correct. And I'm sure we speak for a lot of the population in Victoria and Sydney who are just pumped to sit in front of the TV tomorrow and, and watch some cricket all day. So it's going to be a really exciting way to spend Tuesday. And on today's show, we've got Australian head coach Matthew Mott. So Motti joined us last week for a really insightful and extensive chat. So we covered off uh, what he loves about coaching the team, as well as um, a really good chat about uh, some of the values that the Australian team have sat down to discuss and have a bit of a reset. So we hope you enjoy that one. And LJ, since last week, things have really started to ramp up. It was fun to see some cricket back with an, an intra-squad match on Thursday and then a warm-up match against India on Saturday. There wasn't too much rust on show from the Aussies with some really strong performances across the board and and plenty to talk about before the series gets underway tomorrow. Yeah, I think that was one of the major concerns with the team coming off six months without playing any actual cricket matches. But uh, it was pretty promising signs, particularly from the batters in that warm-up against India, a few half-centuries to Meg and, and Rach and Moons and... And a win for the Dolphins, I think, in the Dolphins v Sharks game. So good news on the internal rivalry front as well. Yeah, that's always a fun one to get around. And the news that came out after that Dolphins v Sharks intra-squad match was uh, Moddy actually confirmed that Taylor Valemic, um, she's had a few niggles over the winter while she's been training down in Victoria and she won't be playing in the ODIs or the Test match, which, which is a blow for the Aussies but hopefully she'll be right to go for the T20s. But I guess that sort of leads us to the question of who comes into the side and who's going to be taking the new ball. Yeah, absolutely. I think they would have expected Taylor Volemic to play that role in the first ODI. So it's really disappointing for the team and for her that she's had yet another setback injury-wise. But it does look like Elise Perry is locked in. She 
took the new ball in the warm up on Saturday. She's easily the most experienced fast bowler in that group now. So she does need to step up in that department. And Stella Campbell took three in the warm up match. So she's definitely put her hand up for a, a debut. It would be very exciting to see a debut from Stella, who was on the show last week. So if you haven't listened to that one, feel free to dip back into the archives and have a listen to Stella. And the other thing that we got confirmation on last week was that the multi-format series against India will be a points-based system. So the same as uh, how it works for the women's Ashes. So it's two points on offer for the limited overs matches and then four points for a test win. And there's also a brand new trophy that's uh, on on offer for the two teams. So very uh, catchy name, the India Australia Women's Series Trophy. So it's, it's really exciting that there's a trophy in existence, but... I'm sure we speak for a few players and fans when we say maybe it can be fashioned into a trophy name that reflects some of the legends and contributions of the legends of the two teams. So maybe, maybe LJ, we can start up a, a bit of a scoop campaign to, to change that name. Yeah, I've got to admit I'm pretty flat with that name, especially when there's been such a, a push um, in Australian cricket over the last year to be better at recognising past players. All the announcements that got made around International Women's Day this year about having a statue for the first the first female statue and now there's that recognition working group. So I'm um, sure there's good reasons why this name has come about for this series, but it would be really disappointing if it didn't get changed to something that better reflects the history between these two teams in the future. And on to the WBBL, we got a big piece of news come through last week. So the WBBL uh, is actually, it was initially meant to be starting in Sydney, but for obvious reasons that won't be happening. And instead we are going to Tasmania. So the first 20 games of the Weber WBBL 07 season will be played uh, in venues across Hobart and Launceston, which is, which is a big change. Yeah, massive change. And I guess disappointing for fans in Sydney who would have been hoping to see some cricket early on. But of course, the border closures have played a big role there and finding a state that was able to take all these players from Victoria, New South Wales and ACT into quarantine was another challenge. So really exciting that they're heading to Hobart and Launceston. And I guess we're we're not sure where the season's going to go after that. No changes have been made beyond that yet, but we know that it's a long road out of border closures as it stands. So hopefully there should be some news in that in the next couple of weeks. And another thing to stay tuned on is the tickets. So Tassie fans, make sure you keep an eye out um, across across the various channels for news on tickets. They'll be on sale very soon. And LJ, one more thing. You spoke to the head of the Big Bash Leagues, Alistair Dobson, last week, and he mentioned that there could be some Indians who we might be, we might be seeing in the WBBL, which would be super exciting. It would be massive. We haven't had any play in the, the league since WBBL 04, of course, with a few clashes the last two seasons keeping them out. Um, I do think we'll have at least one announcement this week. I have, have heard that one is on the way, so stay tuned for that. And I think looking at just the timelines leading into the start of the tournament, players are going to need to go into quarantine from Victoria New South Wales ACT and from overseas over the next week. So I imagine there will be some really big announcements coming in the next week, week and a half before that happens. Very, very exciting and lots to lots to stay on top of with international cricket returning and so much news circling around the WBBL. So stay tuned. But for now, here's Aussie coach Matthew Mott. And we are pumped to be joined on The Scoop today by Aussie head coach Matthew Mott. Motty, welcome back to the show. Tell us, how have you been this winter? Living the dream, living the dream in Queensland, have you been? 
Yeah, I, I feel a bit guilty at times um, speaking to all the the people, friends, and that down in Melbourne. So um, yeah, we've had a we've had a pretty good run up here in Queensland, and hopefully that continues. But um, yeah, it, it's been tough uh, talking to some people down there, and, and even some of our our staff have transitioned over to the men's team and come in and out of quarantine and bubbles and stuff. So it's been a, a tough 12 months for a lot of people, but um, we are so excited to be playing some cricket coming up. Yeah, and speaking of that, can you tell us about this squad you picked? We've got a couple of fresh faces, a few potential debutants in that 18-player group. Yeah, look, I think um, in COVID times, you know, you've got to sort of pick a, a squad that can be reasonably versatile. We've got a really congested schedule, so... Um, and as, as we were talking before off air, like we, we weren't sure on what it was going to look like at different points. And, you know, we're going to have to manage around that test match a bit. I think that's probably the, the one that our sports medicine staff are most worried about. Um, 14 days down tools and getting back into it for our young fast bowlers is going to be really, um, you know, test our management skills. So, um, you know, the, you know the, there's a lot of young players coming in there that could potentially play a role. The one that probably stands out that, uh, is a beneficiary, someone like Stella Campbell, who um, you know, may have missed out in a 15-player squad, but she comes in and, and she's a genuine chance of playing that test match. Um, we had our, our role clarity meetings and, and she's certainly on the radar. Um, yeah, I think it's a big year for someone like Talia McGrath, who's been around on the fringes for a while and will benefit from someone like Megan Shute not playing and, and Jess Jonathan, who you know, traditionally would take up a lot of our overs and, and especially our pressure overs. So... It's so exciting. I think we haven't had this turnover for a while. We've had a reasonably settled unit for some time, but the general um, outlook is, is, is incredibly positive. We've sort of been backed into a corner and, and have to play some of our young players. But um, yeah, with a big 18 months of cricket with Ashes, World Cups and Common Games, uh, this series looms as something that's, uh, in, you know, it's almost like a watershed moment for our team. Yeah, it's certainly going to be very exciting for Aussie cricket fans out there. And Moddy, you mentioned you mentioned Stella Campbell, who's come into the squad for the first time alongside alongside Georgia Redmayne. Can you tell us just what the thinking was about bringing those two new faces into the squad? Yeah, definitely Stella's been um, someone on our radar. And I sort of joked with her the other day. I remember in about 2016, and she was a young net bowler there at North Sydney Oval, steaming in. And, you know, you could already tell there that she had some some great attributes. You know, she's tall, she bowls reasonably quick, um, she gets good bounce and troubles good players. So, you know, when you're looking at matchups for India, some of the things that we've, we've looked at, um, you know, obviously they play a lot in the subcontinent, they play with low hands, someone that can extract that bit of extra bounce in a test match um, it will definitely come in the reckoning. So that, that's part of that. But it's not ruling her out for the other formats, but certainly that's where we're looking there. George is just a player, it's been really exciting for me to watch from a distance. Um, you know, I think she probably had a reputation as a, a solid, dependable player a couple of years ago. And I remember Leah Poulton having some conversations with her up here when she was in the MPS squad about, you know, broadening her game, making sure she got out of her comfort zone. And if she was to apply, play for Australia, she had to increase her strike rate and, you know, that match winning ability. And I think we, we've all seen that over the last 18 months both with Queensland and the Heat, that she's played a dominant role. So I think she comes in, deserves a spot, weight of runs, but also the way she's played. So uh, I think someone said the other day, she's the first batter, genuine batter to come in our group in a while. So um, that's exciting in itself and, and adds to that depth. So uh, yeah, two very good picks, I think. And there obviously haven't been many changes made to the ODI side over the past couple of years. But as you mentioned, um, you can shoot Jess Johnson, unfortunately, missing this series. 
how hard is it going to be to pick that side for that first one day or up in Mackay? Um, yeah, I think we, what we've said to the playing group is we're going to be trying, because of the um, complexity around getting out of quarantine, we're going to try and be as transparent as we can with that team. And, um, and we're also going to, you know, it's never popular, but not everyone's going to play every game. So uh, we've got a plan. We've got a, you know, it's subject to change game by game, but we've got a rough plan on what that looks like. Um, we've got two practice matches against India, which is gold for us. Um, you know, centre wicket, high intensity, and the games will be played with quite liberal rules, but there's nothing quite like that against good opposition. So that'll help sort it out a little bit, but we've, you know, we're pretty, pretty clear on what we're looking like. Um, and we've had to sort of map it out because of the, you know, the difficulties around going straight into a test match uh, where we don't play a lot of test match cricket. So we need a, a good batch of bowlers that can bowl a number of overs. I, I suppose the one thing that we've got is we've got some quality spin bowlers in there and we know in uh, reviewing our last few tests, it's been, spin does play a lot of a role in terms of the overs and uh, someone like Ash Gardner, Sophie Molyneux and Georgia Wareham coming into that, uh, they're all wicket-taking spinners as well. So um, we can balance out that attack. But, yeah, it, it's definitely something that that's been the hardest thing is to map out um, the bowling loads for everyone and making sure that we we don't go too hard too early. Yeah, Muddy, on a similar note, in the past few multi-format series that you guys have played, you've had warm-up tests and obviously a lot more time to train. I think that, yeah, the training schedule is a lot more condensed. And, yeah, as you were talking about, the test match is looking like a real concern. How are you, how's the coaching staff and the medical staff, how are you sort of trying to make sure everyone's ready to go for test cricket? Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, question, that, because um, I think it's a tale of two halves. Our medical staff are absolutely you know, nervous. They are, they are so worried about it. But I think from a coaching staff point of view, um, you know, I think the important thing is we start really well and then we just want to play cricket. I think, um, you know, sometimes there's been, remember the last series in England, it, it almost felt like we were overripe for the test match, you know, with the, with the build-up to the match. And look, it, it's not a perfect preparation, but it's it's what it is. And it's yeah. I think it's going to set the scene for how series are going to be played going forward. I think, um, you know, you, you, the high content, you know, in and out, it's obviously financially it's efficient, but it's also... An, in a COVID world, it, you know, you want to sort of get in reasonably quickly and get out and make sure that your series get up. So um, I think we've got our heads around it. Um, yeah, it will be tough on the playing group, but, you know, we'll have to really communicate well. They'll have to be honest about where they're at. Um, and the other side of it is that they've got to transition out of this into straight into WBBL. So yeah. they might feel good at, at certain times here. We've, we've got a duty of care to look after them you know, 365 days a year as well. So um, we'll, we'll have to make some potentially unpopular decisions at times, but always in the players' best interest. Yeah, I was looking at the schedule and, and it does look like there's just those two um, training sessions you'll have on the goalie before that test. Like what is your message to the players for this session and what do you get them to focus on? Yeah, well, we've got um, we've actually our first couple of sessions up here will be pink ball. So we've, we've built that in before those two practice matches. And we also... Um, sent down every every player that uh, contracted player got a, a heap of pink balls sent to them some time ago. So they've got their head around it. Um, you know, I'm a bit old school. I think it's the same weight, you know, it's it's the same size. It's just a slightly different colour. Um, and I don't, I think if anything, that what we've learned is not to outthink it in this format. Um, someone like Elisa Healy in the last test match, I think she came out of the blocks and made a beautiful 50. Um, 
that's the way she plays. So we wanted to keep playing like that. We don't want players to change their game too much. Clearly, you've got to be a little bit more patient um, at different times. And rather than setting up an over, you'll set up a spell as a bowler. Um, but the fundamentals don't change that much. We want to play a really attacking brand of cricket, look to create opportunities with the ball, um, take 20 wickets. Um, that's it. And bat, bat at a high tempo, which we've tried to do in every test match that we've played in the last few contests. So the fundamentals don't change. It's just a longer time. And um, I think the simpler we can keep it, the better we'll go. Yeah, I know you often talk about how you try and just almost keep a slightly more patient version of your one-day game when you go into a test. Obviously, you've had a change in openers since the last test match with Nicole Bolton dropping away from the team. Does that mean you're likely to stick with the Healy-Haynes combo going into that test? Yeah, look, I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the most likely one there. But, um, yeah, our batting order, as you've seen in T20 and one-day cricket, it's it's so malleable at times that um, our players, as long as they're given a role and we, we sort of communicate it well, they seem to adapt quite well. So, um, I, once again, I think that the balance we've got of those left and right-handers is really important in that test match as well. Uh, make it hard to set up um, our, our batters. So um, that's a big part of it. But, you know, if, if Beth ended up opening that, you know, we wouldn't lose much either. So I think there's a, a stack of batters who love to put their hand up to open in that test match. Um, but unfortunately, only two can do it. So uh, we'll just see what happens, see how the first ADIs go. But we've got a rough idea what we're looking at. We'll wait and see. It's all very exciting. And Muddy, we know you weren't able to have a camp this winter for obvious reasons, but we assume you've spent a lot of time on Zoom. And is there any messages that you were sort of communicating with the players and getting them ready and making sure they were doing all the right things to be ready for the test match? Yeah, it's been an interesting one with the, getting that balance right. I think sometimes, um, you know, we try to err on over communicating um, there, but then, you know, pulled it back at different times and just finding out what the players wanted through, through Megan Rach in particular, like um, even around quarantine, uh, there's, people seem to want to fill your time in quarantine and, and different people want to different things. Some just want to resign themselves to chilling out. Others, you know, Meg goes nuts and walks around the room and does all sorts of stuff. But, Why are we not surprised? <laughs> um, so it, for us, it's just a really individualised approach. And what we've tried to do is go into smaller groups, you know, open up those line of communications. You know, not not systematically, but you know, sporadically, sort of touching base, making sure everyone's okay. And um, yeah, the feedback's been pretty good that we've we've done it reasonably well. Um, and I just shout out to all our sort of state counterparts who've done an incredible job to get everyone ready. I sent a note out to them the other day, but we're just so grateful. We we haven't been able to physically work with the players outside of the couple of Queensland players up here. Um, but even like their fitness measures, some of them are doing personal bests. Um, at, at, at that time, which is incredible. And they're getting better and better and they're serviced so well. So we go into this series very positively. Um, I know a few weeks ago you talked about how the team had been resetting their values recently. Can you tell us a bit about that process and how the values might be evolving for the team? Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we obviously, the last time we properly did this was after 2017. That sent the benchmark and, yeah, we've over time we've reviewed them and and they haven't changed a lot. But this one, given the the big break, I think um, th- this has been the biggest change. And uh, one of the words that came came out was evolve, and the team um, were really strong on that need to evolve. I think um, we're obviously mindful that we've had some success in the last couple of years, but uh, you know part of the mantra is trying to get better every day, and um, I think that's 
that's definitely driving the group. Um, I, I don't sense any any sort of uh, you know where we've got it all sorted. I think everyone in their own way is working on something, including our staff. You know, we're trying to trying to make sure that we're not just you know happy and content. We're we're driving the standards and making sure that we're thinking outside the box a little bit on new ways of doing stuff. So I think that the group's in a really good spot. Um, interestingly, it was the younger players that really drove that. I think that was the exciting part, exciting thing about that. It wasn't the senior players that drove that. So it, I, I, looking at our values now, it's the sort of the bedrock that's been there for a while of, of you know that fearless approach and the team first. Um, but now the next evolution is um, is that is ability for everyone to try and get better every day. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And Moddy, as we know, increasingly over the last couple of years, the Aussie public has just fallen in love with this Aussie team. Can you give us a sense from your point of view why you love being around this team and what motivates you to drive them to even greater heights? Yeah, I think um, I think Megan Shoot summed it up for me is that um, this team is just feels like they're free to be themselves and express themselves however they want to do it. And I. I, I, when I look, um, you know, at our players interviewed um, or mingling with fans, there's a genuine love of, of what they're doing. And I think that comes through. I think um, I don't ever feel like any of our players think that, you know, even though it's fully professional, that it's a job. I think they, you know, they've grown up. We often refer to, you know, playing as your 12-year-old self. Um, but, you know, you, that's all talk, but you, you, you can see it. I think it resonates with the public that, there's big smiles on faces. Sometimes, even in in, in tight contests, there's the ability to laugh at yourself and um, you know then get back on the task. So I, I think that's what um, that's what people love, and you know that's the feedback that we've had. And we you know hopefully we can continue to do that because you know even our support staff. We talk about how how incredibly lucky we are to to be involved with this team, and um, everyone looks out for each other. Very diverse group. I can't think of two people that are the same, whether that be staff or players. We have fun um, and we work hard. You know, we, we know when we have to work hard. We know when it's time to relax and have fun with each other. So, um, yeah, we want to continue to do that for as long as we can. Speaking of your support staff, you've obviously had Shell with you as a full-time assistant for a couple of years and recently Ben Sawyer signed on as a second full-time assistant. What do they offer to you as assistant coaches and how do the three of you work as a team? Yeah, that, that's probably been the biggest change. Um, you know, Shell moving up here for me was was fantastic. I think, um, you know, the, our game is is quite, um, you know, complicated at times now. We've got sports medicine, we've got a lot of media, we've got, so we've got a big staff. And But to have someone to bounce cricket stuff off, you know, just, over, you know, she, she sits opposite me and, you know, just over a normal conversation, it's it's the stuff that you can't do over the phone and you know over this sort of forum it's you know bouncing ideas throwing stuff at each other um you know she's she's probably the um the conscience of the group at times as well she'll rein me in if i if i get out of line at times and, uh, she's got that happy knack of you know just being that real voice of reason um and then ben ben offers something incredibly different to both of us he's he's highly analytical he's he's very very strategic he's um He's a complete cricket nuffy, to be honest. He, uh, he just lives and breathes. Even I was speaking to him during the 100 over there, he's up late at night going through videos, wow. uh, you know, preparing <laughs> stuff like this. So he's, he's, yeah, he, he balances us all out. And, um, yeah, where we've got gaps, he, he certainly um, fills them in spades. So just a really good mix. It works so well. We, 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 we sort of feed off each other and, uh, where someone's not as strong, the other takes up that um, that baton. 
Very good. And Roddy, we're just going to jump in with a quick mid-show shake-up, just a new segment that we're trialling thanks to Weber Barbecues, which is obviously the new naming rights sponsor of the WBBL. So we're going to ask you who's cooking. So we want you to um, want you to name your three dream barbecue guests. So you can pick anyone in the world. doesn't have to be anything related to cricket. Three people you can have over to your house for a barbecue. Alive or dead? Do I have to be alive? No. Nope. Not, can I just say that I'm absolutely gutted with, a, with this Weber sponsorship because literally two weeks ago I went out and bought one. Oh, and no, you didn't. Maybe hope there might have been some sort of discount there. But, uh, oh, no we, one we, told we, you. Yeah, I bought a little baby queue. So anyway, um, on that. Um, look, I'm not sure he he would be the, you know, the liveliest company of all time, but I'm an unbelievable Don Bradman fan. I grew up just idolising him. I read so many books on him. Um, you know, just incredible um, athlete and, uh, you know, just synonymous with the game. You know, yeah. he, he often says no one's bigger than the game. Well, I think he's the closest to it. So the Don would be right up there. Um, my best mate from school, I couldn't couldn't get away from that because if I if I did, so Brett, <laughs> Brett Crichton, um, yeah, he'd, he'd be all over me if I didn't invite him um, and call me a big head. So I'll, he'll get the fun just through that. Um uh, and I am a, I'm in I'm the in golf I'm the tragic that Ben Sawyer is for cricket and I wow. uh, Tiger Woods to me um, yeah that he just inspired so many people all walks of life all across the planet so they'd probably be the three for me um, I, a bit more time to think about it, I might throw a few <laughs> good crew should be a good good barbecue at Moddy's place <laughs> Moddy we know the team love to have a barbecue sometimes on tour. Um, what does it mean to chill out and, and just sit around a barbie, particularly overseas when you're a long way from home? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. you're preaching to the converted here, LJ. You know me. I, I just think um, a barbecue is just such an Australian thing to do. Um, and, and, you know, I've got, a, I've got a good one out the back there and we, we cook on it quite a bit. Uh, as you said, it's almost like um, it's a focal point for, you know, the way people socialise in our country. Um, <laughs> we're blessed up here in Queensland with pretty much barbecue mm. weather all year round, but in some of those southern states, it, 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 it means the start of summer. Um, but to me, it, it's just the incredible um, thing that we do, whether it's around the Boxing Day test, stuff like that, that uh, every young Australian just, um, you know, there's so many good memories around the barbecue. You know, whether you have a beer or not, it, it just gets people together. And um, yeah, it, it's to me, it's one of the best things ever. Excellent. And now back to the cricket. Just wanted to quickly chat about the uh, the pace bowlers you've got. We've seen such a shift away from pace off from the Australian team over the last few years with the emergence of Taylor Vlemic and Darcy Brown and now Stella. What sort of came first? Was it the, the emergence of Taylor or was it a shift in the Australian coaching thinking to start letting these players cut loose? Yeah, I, I think it's a, that's a fascinating question because I, I definitely think... Um, yeah, when I first got in the game, my observations were that spin was strong, batting was strong, but the, around the world, pace bowling was the, was probably the neglected art in terms of the game. As you said, I think successful teams were based around pace off, setting fields to it. Um, but I think the evolution of the game, the, bat, the way the batters have played as well, has forced teams to to have a few more tricks. Um, and but you can't you can't have a plan on fast bowling unless you've got the talent. And so. You're right. I think um, you know the the access to some of the best athletes now, the strength and conditioning programs in states, um, seeing their heroes on TV running and bowling fast. 
Uh, it's not one thing that's probably changed that, but um, I really think the next five to 10 years is just going to be more and more of it. And as coaches and um, you know, administrators, we need to make sure we don't let that go because um, even in the way we go about it now, it's, it's a high risk strategy because um, it does go for runs. So, um, you know, we need coaches at junior levels um, and even in state cricket to promote the fast bowlers that come into the game. Um, because, yeah, it, it, it's a lot easier to go the other way. Tactically, um, we know it works the other way, but if we want to push the boundaries and, um, you know, make a game for all, then, then fast bowling we need to encourage a lot more. And do you think, Muddy, this change, in, this change in strategy and letting young players run in hard and bowl fast, do you think that's changing already, the, the kind of young players that we're seeing coming through the game? Absolutely, yeah. I, I think we've got some fantastic coaches all around the country now um, the way we look after the bowlers is is better now too. Like uh, I think um, you know we we probably in the women's game just inherited the men's stats over over time because there wasn't a lot of anecdotal evidence. But um, you know we're, we're we're treating each player as an individual, trying to make sure their programs are right, um, analyze their actions so that they're strong and durable, um, and and reward pace as you said. So like it, it's there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, but yeah, it, it does take um, it, it does take a long term view, I think, to, to encourage it fully, because um, sometimes if you're just looking at results and, and they're driving you, that pace off can work, um, yeah, quite comfortably a lot. And where do you see female fast goal, fast bowling going from here? I know you mentioned the next five ten years, but so where can they get to? Yeah, look, I, everyone tells me about Catherine Fitzpatrick bowling, you know, in excess of one twenty five to one thirty. I, I think. Um, you know, Taylor's going to push that. Darcy's going to push that as well. Um, you know, Stella's going to be up there. So I just think that it's not about the number to me. It's about um, the arc and, you know, whether in the men's game, not not the fastest bowls aren't necessarily the best. They're the most skillful. They hit the right lengths more often. They extract more bounce than other people. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into fast bowling. And now all the tricks that they've got as well, and that's something Ben's been big on. Um, we've lost someone like Delissa Kimmins in our squad who, who sort of showed the way with pace on at times, but also, you know, some tri- tricky variations and getting some good field settings. So all of those all those things go into the art form of fast bowling. And it's not just about a number on a speedo, but to me it's a, it's, it's a cultural thing and it's rewarding it. Um, and we want them to hunt as a pack and, you know, push each other and, drive each other like, you, like you've seen probably more traditionally in the men's game over time. And looking ahead, Moddy, we've got an epic summer coming up, obviously an Ashes campaign and a World Cup campaign, which are massive by themselves, but back-to-back is just a massive test. Have you guys had any many chats around how you'll handle that jam-packed schedule with so many big tournaments on the horizon? Yeah, we have. Um, but talking about it's one thing and then living it is very different. So... Uh, yeah, we just need to be really, as I said at the start of the show, uh, really honest with each other about where we're at. I think what what we've learned a lot over this time is there's no there's no sort of markers that you can really follow. Yeah, there's some trends in that, but people will get flat at different times, and and you know you can do your best to tap, you know tap in and see how people are going, but you know you just don't know when someone's going to hit a flat spot. So where we can to be really open and, and honest about how we're actually feeling. Um, you know, I think this, you know, the, obviously mental health is really important in society, mm-hmm. but particularly in cricket, coming in and out of hubs, um, you know, and, and as I said, it's a 365 day of the year job for us to manage our playing group. 
And, and quite often, um, you know, we may have to make some unpopular decisions to help them. Because like, you, you can be feeling good, but as you know, we, we probably look at it a bit more objectively from that and, and see the danger signs coming up, seeing the transitioning. So trying to help players help themselves is really important. Uh, having those honest conversations around, you know, what is coming up? Like, how do you think you're going to manage through this? What is, what's your strategy here? Um, because we can potentially see a flat spot coming. Um, and and there's, I've seen some great people uh, that are high-functioning, high-working people just hit a wall over the last mm. 12 months. Um, and, and, it's, and it's really important that we try and avoid that as much as we can. And, and try and steer steer them off course if, if we see that happening. And for Meg as a captain in particular, captaining in Ashes and a World Cup back-to-back, never mind India and WBBL before that, could this be her greatest challenge yet as a leader? Yeah, I think it's the greatest challenge for everyone. Um, but I, I think what Meg really feels is some you know, fantastic support around her from the you know from the support staff. But, you know, as I said, those other senior players around there, we... You know, she, she's the, the leader, but, the, you know, you've got Rachel Haynes there, Lisa Healy, um, Megan Shute when she comes back, Jess Johnson, all those guys, Beth Mooney, that have all played a lot of cricket together now mm-hmm. um, that can manage, help manage that load. And I, it, in our team meetings, Meg's not the only person talking. Um, you know, we're getting voices from everywhere. So I think the load on her, it, it, we've, we've tried to alleviate a bit. Uh, clearly... You know, she she does a lot of media when we get into the series, and and you know Lucy manages that quite well, and making sure we try and share that burden a little bit. Um, but there's definitely times you're going to have to watch out for her and 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 give her a little uh, tap out for a couple of days and make sure she's refreshed and and ready to go. But I know for a fact she's she's sick of being in quarantine and being locked down, and she can't wait for the next eighteen months. So um, that's a good thing. Very good thing. And Elise Perry, she's another very senior player in the team and a player that we've seen really dominate Ashes series in the past six years or so. Not just in the Test, but basically across all formats. We know she had a, a bit of a tough year last year and probably still wasn't back to her best against New Zealand. Can you see her recapturing that form that's seen her really dominate Ashes series in the past? Yeah, I can. I, we had a really great chat the other day with uh, those role clarity meetings with with pairs. And I, I, I just think that the the fact that we've lost Megan Shute and Jess Johnson is almost you know, given that extra uh, responsibility to the pairs to come back and lead the attack. Um, you know, which we, we said last year that there's, there was a lot of competitions for overs last year and mm-hmm. now Pez really learns as our most senior bowler and, uh, you know, Nick Carey and people like that will, will step up. But I think she's excited by that challenge of, of really leading the attack again, setting the tone. Um, she said some great things around, you know, being the, the bowler to kill the game at the end and that's what she wants, that pressure of that role. Um, which has probably fallen more on someone like Shooter and, and even Jess at different times over the last couple of years. So I think she's excited. Her batting is always top class and, um, you know, I think she's got more mobility now in the field. So mm-hmm. I, I think you're going to see uh, her back very close to her best. That makes us very excited. <laughs> Body, thank you so much for joining us today on this group. Always great to hear your insights and we wish you all the very best for the upcoming series against India. We can't wait. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. And thanks for your support. Enjoy the stroke play of Meg Lanning. This is excellent batting by Ash Gardner. Jonathan strikes again. 
She's on a hat trick. She comes at Molyneux. Catch is taken by Perry. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World.